Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&As. It is Thursday, pretty early morning when I'm starting these out. I have a whole bunch of stuff I got to do today, and I really love doing the Q&As, so I wanted to jump in early, but there's probably going to be less questions than usual because there's always a bunch that seem to come in right on Thursday morning, which is fine. But if I miss any of your questions, please just re-ask it in well, wherever you find this one because uh, very often what will happen is I'll finish recording, I'll start editing and uploading, and during that time, more questions come in. So I'm not ignoring you. I just had to get up early today and get this started. So let's jump right in and see what we got this week. First up, Oliver Clare is looking for some advice on audio equipment for their retro gaming setup. An Extron Crosspoint is currently at the center of their plans. First, they'd like to convert the analog audio output of the Crosspoint to digital audio using a digital audio interface that could output to SPDIF RCA. Um, So that's gonna be much easier than the opposite. Obviously, all of the analog rules apply. Anytime you convert, change, add a cable, add a signal length, whatever, you could potentially degrade the signal quality. But I don't think in the scenario in which that you're going to be using this, that's a problem. When would be a problem? MD Fourier analysis, archival backups of something, you know, mixing an album, whatever, you know, really pro level stuff. But listening, I don't know if the human ear could perceive the differences for that. I'll use, I'll leave a link to the one that I purchased. I've used it once and it worked fine, but I don't have any detailed testing in it, but it did come recommended from somebody who does this stuff quite often. So that should be totally fine. I don't think you would have any issues with that. In fact, depending on what DACs you use, like the uh, digital to analog converter I got that does the Dolby surround decoding only takes digital inputs, which is kind of funny because if you have a modern receiver and you use that Sony DAC that I have, you would have to go from analog to digital to analog again. Kind of funny, right? Uh, Next, they're looking for an automatic spit of switch that could accept RCA input as well as Toslink input. Toslink input. Uh, there's one that I've been seeing on a Tindy store for years that everybody seems to love. Every time I go to buy it, I'm like, just don't have that many digital devices. Don't don't spend the money. So I haven't bought it yet just because I'm trying to be a little stingier with cash. Uh, but everybody that's used it says it's great. So I'll leave a link to that as well. Third, also looking for an HDMI SPDIF embedder that can convert the Toslink output from the switch to HDMI so that they can connect it to an HDMI switch. I don't know any device like that that I've used before that's affordable. 
I would love to hear anybody else's opinion. Please remember that when you post links in the comments, sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't. So it's way better to put descriptions. So company, model number, short description, but never a URL or like buy it at B and H photo and don't even put .com, just, you know, stuff like that, spell it out. I know that's annoying, but it's just way easier than trying to deal with anything else. So I got you on the first two. I'll put the links in the description, but anything that adds audio to HDMI or just converts a signal to HDMI digital audio, I'm also really interested in that. But more importantly, I'm looking in, I'm looking for affordable versions of that. I could buy a thousand dollar box that does all of those things, but I seriously doubt that you need to spend that much money to get good quality. So would love for anybody to throw your suggestions in. Tony Escobar had a question about magnetically shielded speakers, and I'll share my opinion on this. Basically, Tony picked up a soundbar that turned out to not be magnetically shielded. And while they ended up just going ahead and finding some shielded, magnetically shielded Bose computer speakers, they wanted to know what's the safe distance from keeping non-shielded speakers away from CRTs. So this is not fact, and I don't even know if there is a solid fact on this, but what I try my best to do in those scenarios is to fire up an all white screen and put the speakers sort of, you know, don't put it next to it. Don't do it like I did in the video. That was just an experiment. The TV turned out to be totally fine, but you know, err on the side of caution and move the speakers close until you start to see some interference on the side. And then once you see some interference, try to move them almost double the distance. So if it's two feet, four feet, and if you can't, then, you know, if it's, you only have three feet to spare, give that a shot. But there's one tip that I will absolutely share that saved my butt with that subwoofer. My apologies. I know I've said it before, but if you haven't heard it, this one's important. I set up my camera in manual mode. You can do that with a cell phone too. You don't need a fancy camera. Just set it to manual or lock the focus and color to it. Then just hit record and bring the speaker up near the CRT, like I said, and then move it away and then kind of try to get it to a place where you don't think there's interference. Then go play that video back. Because what I noticed was when I was watching the video, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I saw the, the screen change color as I walked the subwoofer past it and put it on the ground, but it seems fine now. But when I compared the first couple frames of that video to the last couple of frames. And yes, I made sure I was in the same position too, right? Like I started the video, counted to five behind the camera, put the subwoofer down, went back behind the camera, counted to five. So I personally wasn't affecting this. The color was off a little bit at the end. So that means that even though it appeared to still be an all white screen and the subwoofer did not appear to be messing with the CRTs, it absolutely was. So if you're talking about, and once again, this is all opinion here, but if you're talking about, hey, I found a CRT on the side of the road, half the plastics, you know, cracked and old, but whatever, it's awesome, it's clean enough, I'm using it, seems fine, cool, whatever. I, I hate to see any piece of equipment get lost to negligence, but, you know, if you accidentally ruined that one because you were three inches too close and it took five years to destroy the CRT, you know, I, I wouldn't lose sleep over that. I'd be annoyed with myself, but whatever. But Tony has a PVM 14L5 and then one of those Zenith Health Views. So those are some pretty cool monitors, especially the 14L5. So how bad would you feel if you, you were a couple of inches off 
and your CRT died in a couple of years or was not died, but was permanently discolored over the course of a long period of time when that thing could have lasted 20 more years. So while all of this was just a rambly opinion, I, I really do think that if people follow it, it'll significantly reduce your chances of any damage to the CRT. Because remember, magnetic fields are not visible. You could only see them by the discoloration. So even if your CRT seems to be keeping up, it's still something that you might want to just kind of keep in the back of your mind. So my stupid rule of thumb, twice the distance from when I, st I stop seeing discoloration. And it's not like 50 feet here. It's very often like, all right, about a foot and a half away, I stopped seeing it. So I'm going to put it three feet, you know, that is kind of the way I've gone about it. That's kept me safe this time. Um, but, you know, that's going to be totally up to you. But it's a great question. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Quantum Guitar hooked up a friend of theirs with an old Panasonic CRT that was used in closed caption TV systems. So probably a security camera CRT or something like that, that has S-video and composite inputs. At the moment, the friend has a Raspberry Pi 3B that she's enjoying using composite video, and she's hoping to get low latency S-video from her gaming PC to it. So this is going to get incredibly complicated without a use case. So I'll touch upon it now, but just in the interest of everybody's time, I'll wait for you to get back to me on exactly how you're going to be using this. But I'll give a, a quick overview. So using a Pi in this scenario is awesome. I love it. It's the perfect gateway drug, or it might be all your friend needs because, you know, a lot of people want to experience retro and they want to do it on a CRT. And I, I just think a Pi is such an amazing way to get that. And then you could all decide from there where to go. Is your blast of nostalgia complete or is this is your first time experiencing the games? Do you think it's cool, but you're done with it? Or do you want to jump in a little further? And that's when you talk about Mr. and, you know, other software emulation, original hardware, whatever else you got. So I'm loving the Pi 3 idea. Embrace that as long as possible. And same with composite video. Composite is excellent on a CRT. But when you're talking about using a modern gaming PC and an RTX 3070, and you're talking about using it in a low latency environment through the S-Video input, there's a lot of ifs and buts going on right now. So what resolution do you want to use it in? 480i or 240p? If, you're going, if you need 480i, what I would actually suggest is get one of those really cheap, kind of laggy, but cheap converters that do HDMI to composite in S-Video and start there because it's a tool in your toolbox, but maybe that's all your friend needs. Maybe this is just a fun little experiment, but if you're dead serious about, okay, it's got to be S-Video and it's got to be the lowest latency possible to take advantage of the low latency CRT, then are you going 480i or 240p? And do you... Uh, Quantum Guitar mentioned that the PC is a small form factor, so they don't have the space to put just another graphics card in to get direct analog output. So at this point, you could do a whole bunch of different things. You could try to boot to something like, um, boot. Uh, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank in this one. It's the interview I did with Calamity. 
Oh, I feel like such a moron. Um, uh, I'll put the link to what I'm talking about. But you can use software to boot to a faster USB stick and have your OS output 240p. And then you would have to then convert the signals quite a bit. You would go from HDMI to probably VGA to a sync combiner to make it RGBS to then one of those boxes to get S-Video. It's a lot of money right there. It's a lot of converters, a lot of stuff that you probably don't need. Um, you could try running it in just simply running it in 480p, which you don't need any special software for. And then you would use a downscaler, but then that's the same thing. So if you're looking for 240p, you could use the GBS control. Um, you could use, uh, you know, you could also use the RetroTINK 5X, but then you would need to do the same thing. You would need to output to VGA and then convert that to RGB and then convert that to S-Video. You could try to hunt down an Extron um, Super Emotia. It's got to be a couple of very specific models, like the EX and the later editions don't work. They're very expensive. They're very hard to find. But you could do just 480p VGA in, and it'll spit out S-Video. So there's a lot of really complicated and very expensive ways to go about doing this. So what I would strongly suggest is just get one of those HDMI to S-Video adapters, uh, set it to 480p if possible, and just deal with the latency because, to be honest, the latency is on a CRT is probably going to be way more tolerable than you would think anyway. And much like the Raspberry Pi, maybe this is all they need. Maybe they'll do it and go, oh, this is so cool. I have a second monitor in 480i, and now I can play some modern games in that resolution and go from there. But cost is really a huge factor in this. Cost in like, what are you going to use all this stuff for? Now, if your friend's a crazy nerd like I am, buying all of these things would probably be awesome because you could use them for tons of other things. But I don't know if I would tell anybody to go down this rabbit hole just for that one specific use. A second, much easier question. Um, she was thinking about the viability of using a smart power outlet to turn the monitor on and off more easily. Are most monitors power buttons more or less physical switches where an external switch on a power strip could be used to toggle power without any adverse effects? So there should not be any adverse effects. Um, I, my, only, my only two cents in this would be any electronics equipment. Don't constantly turn it on and off and on and off. You know, if you use it for at least a couple of minutes before powering it off. But I don't think that would be an issue at all. And it also really depends on the monitor and some monitors have settings. So like I have um, the uh, nine inch BVM that I always use. When I flip on my power strip, it automatically comes up into standby mode, but I'm pretty sure there's a setting in there that says just if the back switch is on, it's always on. Whereas the eight inch PVM that's next to it has a hard switch. So if that switch is on, as soon as it gets power, it's on. So I would just double check that, but I think that's a great idea and a pretty easy thing to implement into your setup. Sal has a question that I actually have multiple answers to. Uh, I'm gonna break it down to real world answer, technical answer, and my very harsh and rude opinion on this. Um, the question is, are using optical drive emulators and ROM carts on original hardware is that emulation? And the real world answer is no, definitely not, because you're still loading everything through the original consoles. Let's say you're using the original controllers and a CRT. The only thing that's different is the delivery method. So really, and that should just be counted as original hardware as a real world answer, because you're not adding any latency. 
you're not hurting any of the game experience at all. It's essentially from the moment the game boots, the same game. So real world answer is no, that's not emulation. The technical answer is almost the same. And it's that that delivery method is what's different, but you're still running it through the same motherboard, the same inputs, the same CPU, RAM, GPU, PPU, whatever. You're still processing it through the same exact hardware. And the delivery method might be different, but in almost every case, it wouldn't take away from it. It would just add to it. So in the case of ROM cards, you could use the FX Pack Pro and get yourself MSU One Audio. And in the case of ODEs, you could load your games faster, but it's not taking anything away. And in fact, I would actually argue that when you talk about mature hardware, ODEs that have been out on you know multiple firmwares, you know EverDrives that have been out forever, you have almost the same amount of chances running into a glitch as you would on original hardware, original disks. And let me just throw out two very basic examples. On disks, what if your disk is scratched? What if your laser is getting old and wearing out? Then your game will probably still work, but you might get some audio skips and pops. You might have longer loading times. So it might not be the same glitches that you would run into with an ODE, but it's about the same. And even with cartridges, what about early Genesis games that won't work on TMSS model Genesis consoles? You know, that counts as original hardware 100% and it won't work right. So from a technical point of view, while you're emulating the delivery method, the processing of this software is going to be the same. So even nerding out over this, no, it is not emulation. Now here's for my rude answer. Don't argue with people in your comments about this because if they come in rude, they're probably just trying to get a rise out of you, just like the trolls that say, that argue whether Mr. is emulation or not. They don't actually care about the answer. They just like getting people pissed off. There's that whole South Park season that went into that. That was a brilliant example of what that's like. And there's nothing you could do about it. So I, I just mute. That's, that's my opinion. Also, you know, if somebody really is obsessing over this and they want to talk about it in a technical way like we are here, it's actually a great conversation and it's a great positive debate to have. But if someone's coming at you trolling, they're probably just trying to get a rise out of you. And Sal, you can get as mad as me as you want for saying this, but you fell for it. So don't try not to fall for it because you're just feeding these idiots. But if you ever want to have these conversations, if any of you want to have these conversations in a positive way like Sal did here, feel free. I love this stuff. These are great discussions. And even if you walk away from this disagreeing, you might have another perspective. And uh, I know it's absolutely illegal to disagree with people today, but that's bullshit. We're nerds. Disagreeing is awesome. Having two opinions that are close, but the disagree it just it ends and everybody learns a little bit more. And we might not change each other's minds, but adding more perspective is always a good thing. So Sal, fuck those trolls. Elmer M recently found their old childhood SNES. The revision is SNS CPU GPM 2 Is there an RGB video upgrade mod for this model? They would love to make it as awesome as the modded SNES's look. There's a whole bunch now, and I don't know if there's one definitive one yet. So I'll give a very short overview. I guess to skip to the end, just wait. <laughs> but let me explain why I'm saying that. There have been a couple of RGB mods for two-chip, three-chip SNESs. Everybody gets mad when I say that. I don't really care. The non-one-chip models, the older revision SNESs that have the kind of smeared video look. There's been a bunch of fixes for those, but some of them only work 
on certain games. Some of them have very different results depending on the console revision. Um, some of the ones that are just about to be coming out, there's some speculation of, are that, is that good for your SNES? Could that potentially harm it? And, you know, there's, these are smart people working on it, right? But there's also smart people speculating on it, not trolls, actual people with knowledge of how the SNES and power circuits and video circuits work. So there's a bunch floating out there now. The only one that I've personally used that's great on all of these, um, it's kind of halted in production. Uh, the part shortage really killed the project and it's a very complicated mod. It is basically the same type of mod as like doing a DC digital type of thing. So there are a few about to be released that should be really good. Maybe not exactly as good as like a perfectly modded one chip, but real close. Like enough where, you know, 99% of us would think that's way better than I ever thought it could be. And one was actually supposed to be released last November. I don't know what the heck happened with that, but um, that's the one that I'm really waiting on because that was done with safety and ease of installation in mind. So it's one of those things where it's like, and a lot of people are like, oh, I got the SNES two chip mod done. It's fine. It really isn't for a lot of reasons might be in their exact console. But what I would actually wait on is some of the easier ones just to see. Because it is my opinion, this part's only opinion, that if you had a choice between installing a really complicated mod that might end up in destroying your SNES, but getting pretty flawless video out of it, versus getting it 99% to where it would be as that, or maybe 95 even, but it's kind of an easy mod. And if you mess it up, you can take it out and redo it. I would always recommend that even for people that, you know, that do this all the time. So because you also never know what's coming out next, right? What if you take this really complicated mod and you do it or you hire somebody to do it and it's awesome and you love it. And then two years from now, a 4k HDMI mod comes out for it or something like that. <clears throat> you know, if you have that much easier installation. All right, cool. No big deal. You know, you easily take it out. But so, yeah, it's um, and, you know, it's it's hard to talk about this stuff without sounding like I'm throwing shade because I'm not those people that put in a ton of effort into testing and got it working great on their revision SNES did good work. But the difference between a hobby project and something that you could distribute worldwide and tell people to use is pretty massive. And that's the type of thing that a lot of my friends and I who've been in manufacturing before or have just been in the scene long enough could recognize the difference. And it's hard to explain sometimes to people that, you know, just because your idea is absolutely perfect on your console doesn't mean it might be the right answer for everybody. People tend to get really upset when I try to explain that. And even with a really complicated mod, that was freaking awesome. I loved it. Got it sitting right there in front of me in one of those boxes, but it's not finished and it's not gonna be for everybody. And that might even evolve into something different before it's officially released. So while this was a much longer explanation than you probably wanted, I wanted to get the info out there and up to date again, just so that people understand where I'm coming from. There is an easier mod coming out that is probably going to be more than what most people were expecting for the two chip SNESs. And at the very least, it's going to be pretty easy to install and definitely safe to install. So wait for that one. And, you know, here's kind of the other side. What if I'm dead wrong and this mod sucks? It's definitely safe, but what if it sucks and it's not worth it at all? Then my next choice or my next you know, opinion would be to go to that much more complicated one. So really, if we got to wait a little bit longer just to kind of get the, the sharpness mod done, 
I think I would kind of approach this one with patience just because, or I know you don't want to hear this. You, you know, not you specifically Elmer, but like the general you, if you really want the best possible video output, you could pick up a mister and keep your SNES for like nostalgia. For me personally, though, I would just kind of wait to see if this easier mod works. And if it does, then that's the one that I would recommend. And if not, at least you didn't waste a ton of time and money on anything. And you could just settle on one of the other options afterwards. Jason Sherman just wanted to say thank you for all the info and effort about Thunderbolt 4. They've learned more about it from me in the past few weeks than they did from traditional tech news in a year. Thank you for schooling me kindly. Well, Jason, uh, thank you. And this is not BS. This is not, you know, that cheesy YouTubers smash like and subscribe. Seriously, without support services, I couldn't do this because first of all, I'm, I'm weird and I like weird things. So that's what I like to concentrate on. But on top of that, uh, you take a major YouTube channel and they find this same weirdness that I found they're not going to be able to do that. Are they going to make a video that affects less than 1% of the Thunderbolt users that's going to piss off Intel and Thunderbolt and possibly even piss off sponsors if they were getting sponsored by any of the companies that make enclosures or anything like that? They just couldn't do that. So the fact that I have monthly support from people like you, Jason, that want to keep this weirdness going is why I'm able to do that. And I would love to get to the point where the monthly support services was really my income because at this at this point it's only it's a small portion and it's really the affiliate links on amazon and ebay and unfortunately some of the google ad revenue which i hate the google ads on the site i hate them but i kind of need to have them but youtube is, is basically zero income but you know it's the support services that allow me to get this done and if i was ever at a point where the support services the monthly ones were really the biggest chunk, if not the main income, I could just start talking about things like, hey, these are the things that I've been working on the past few months behind the scenes. What do you want to see the next video or post on? And at the moment, there's stuff, you know, 99% of my work is retro RGB, but I do help a lot of teams of nerds out everywhere doing stuff that isn't really retro related. And occasionally you'll see a post on retro RGB that I'll talk about in the weekly roundup where it's like, all right, Bob tied that into retro, but that's not really relevant to retro directly. That's usually because I spent so much time on a project that I have to justify it as retro RGB related. And I would love to bring more of that stuff out as well. But I just I don't want to alienate everybody. And I don't know if that's what anybody wants. So, yeah, this isn't, you know, I'm not uh, this isn't like a backhanded anything. I, I genuinely mean thank you for allowing me to get to the point where I'm able to do this, but I would love to continue to grow it because I work on so much weird stuff. And if if the main source of income was like, yes, that's what we want you to do a video on or a post or a podcast or whatever else, I would love to be able to do it. But unfortunately, if you know, if a couple hundred people say, yeah, that's awesome, spend a week doing it and it only gets a couple hundred views, then, you know, that's that kind of not at the point where I I'm not at that point where I'm able to do that. So whereas on the flip side, if the support services were who's telling me to make these videos and only people who support on the support services watch them. Great. Cool. <laughs> Whatever. That's fine. So, yeah, I don't know. I'd love to hear your all of your thoughts on that, because I, I love helping people do stuff like this. I love digging into weird tech stuff. And I, I really love approaching problems that that not many other people have. And, you know, very often it's because other people 
who are smarter than me have looked at that problem and go, no, that's dumb. And then I'll, I'll spend my own time on it and go, oh, you were right. That was dumb. But there have been on a regular basis throughout my entire career. I don't know if it's one out of 10, one out of five, but on a regular basis, I've walked up to a problem and gone, well, what about this? And everybody in the room looks at me and goes, no, I, hey, so <laughs> I want to keep doing it. I want to keep doing it as much as I can. Um, I just don't know the best ways to go about that. And, you know, based on that example I gave and a bunch of the others, it's kind of hard to find sponsors that are willing to back that. So I guess that's you. Jason. So thank you so much for giving me, uh, giving me the ability to do it. Thanks to everybody who supports on these. And since there were no other posts, heck, this is just the perfect time to end it. Thank everybody for all of your support. I can't tell you how much I love doing this. I put so much effort into it because I don't want to let anybody down. I probably put more pressure on myself than any of you would have ever wanted me to, but it just, it means so much to me. So thank you. I really appreciate it. If you're new to these Q and A's, ask any question that you would like, wherever it is that you support, just please ask in the latest Q and a post because the way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. Plus I like just doing it in real time, scrolling through like you saw today, because it just kind of feels like even though we're, you know, we're far apart, it feels like we're kind of sitting down having a conversation with each other. And as you can tell from Jason's question, I just naturally went right into the ending because it really does just feel like we're having a talk with each other. So I don't know. But thank you all very much. I really appreciate it. And I will see you all next week.